This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Marina Sirdis, Deanna Troy from Star Trek The Next Generation. You're listening to Trek FM. Welcome to another episode of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Justin Ozer, and join with me today are the lovely Amy Nelson. Hi, Amy. Hi. How are you, Justin? I'm so glad to have you uh, drinking a cup of Earl Grey with us. It's so nice to have you on as our host, co-host. Oh, thank you. It's wonderful to be here as a co-host, and I do kind of have a cup. It's not quite tea, but you can think of it as Earl Grey. (laughs) Well, we won't ask exactly what is in that cup. (laughs) It's not alcohol. (laughs) And we also have the fantastic Richard Marquez. How are you doing, Richard? I'm I'm doing fantastic, Uh, and that's the podcast Kool-Aid, right? You joined us on the other side. I know. I I drank it, and now I have to be here each week. No, it's wonderful to be here to drink the Kool-Aid. All right, great. So on on today's episode, we are going to talk about um, our favorite episodes written by Joe Minoski, and I'll be talking about that in a little bit. But first, since this is my first episode as as a co-host here, I just wanted to introduce myself a bit and and talk um, with our listeners about my experience with Trek and how I came to to Trek FM. So as far as Star Trek, the first thing uh, that I remember seeing of Star Trek was the Undiscovered Country in the theaters when I was 12 years old. I liked it, but I didn't really get into Star Trek at that point. And then during the 90s, I watched some Voyager, a little bit of, of Deep Space Nine, but what really got me into Star Trek actually was the 2009 movie. I love that, and I wanted to go back and see what I had missed. And my wife says has been a big Star Trek fan for a long time, and one of her favorite, actually her favorite show at the time was Star Trek: The Next Generation. So I went ahead and watched that, and I loved it. It was the first Star Trek series that I I fell in love with, and then I watched everything in in Trek after that over the last six or seven years. So. I, I absolutely love The Next Generation and, and uh, so happy to be a co-host on Earl Grey where we can talk TNG every week. Absolutely. I didn't, I didn't know your wife liked Star Trek, too. That's exciting. She does, yeah. And she's like Star Trek since, since she was a, a kid in the 70s watching the TOS rerun. She saw the motion picture in the theaters, and you know she's been a fan longer than, much longer than I have. Um, so, yeah, she's the one that kind of 
encouraged me to to get into it. Although it took a little bit of time. I think after we had met, it was maybe like five years before I, 2009 came out, and I was like, I got to see this, and then I really got into it. But yeah, she's a huge, huge fan as well. And we're recording this before Star Trek Las Vegas, but it's going to drop afterwards, and we'll we'll both be there, and we're really excited to go. Yes, I'm very excited to meet you and your lovely wife. See, oh, Norman would be actually be proud of me because I used to talk about people who are watching, you know, Star Trek 2009 as well as Into Darkness. Uh, or at least at that time, it was uh, Into Darkness. Beyond wasn't even out yet, and I was talking to him about how it's exciting for those who are seeing two, uh, 2009, and then, you know, uh, yeah, call it what you will, Kevin timeline suck or not, I it doesn't really matter, but like those new fans are going to come and see what's what's what they've been missing for however long it, uh, i mean whenever whenever they start watching it and you're you're a living proof of that uh of what i told norman i was like well, you know what this is going to be awesome and we're going to bring in more fans and it's not going to kill anyone <laughs> if we got more fans so i am so happy that 2009 sparked your interest again and uh thank you for proving me right <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think it it, it 2009 and, and the Kelvin Timeline movies have helped to to bring in new fans like myself, and I think Star Trek Discovery is going to bring in new fans as well, which is another reason to be excited about it. Absolutely. And one of the writers on Star Trek Discovery is Minoski, right? Is that That's that's right. Yeah, one of the reasons, well, I love Joe Minoski as a Star Trek writer. First of all, he wrote uh, 17 episodes of The Next Generation, four episodes of Deep Space Nine, 46 episodes of Voyager. So he's written quite a lot of of 24th century Star Trek. Uh, He was also a producer on season five of The Next Generation and a producer on seasons three through six of Voyager. So quite a lot of involvement in 24th century Star Trek. And he's, of course, the one who introduced the number 47 into script. So we're thankful to him for that. But also, as you mentioned, Amy, he is going to be a writer on on Star Trek uh, Discovery. And I thought that was that was very interesting because it's one of those ties to our beloved Next Generation. The only other tie to Discovery uh, for Next Generation so far is Jonathan Frakes directing an episode. But it'll be really interesting to see what he, he brings to to Discovery. I thought it would be great if we talk about our top three picks uh, for favorite uh, Joe Minoski written episodes, either written or, or co-written. So why don't we start out, Amy, if you want to give your first choice and talk about it a little bit. All right. Well, when people say Joe Minoski in Star Trek universe, I think a couple of episodes really come to mind. And I'm going to choose the one that most people don't like, and that is Masks. <laughs> So I chose Mask. Number one, I think it is very memorable. Whether you hate it or you like it or, heaven, if you do love it, um, you remember it. This is an episode that you can say Masks and everyone knows what you're talking about. And so having Data define each of those characters that he plays. I mean, this is definitely a data episode. But what I like about it is that it really gets into another's culture. And we don't see it that often getting in depth and context to what these symbols and and things mean. 
And so for me, I like masks, number one, that it's memorable and that we get to see this idea of a different culture. I tend to think of masks as data's inner light. I mean, because it just sort of runs parallel. It really draws Picard into his archaeological realm, you know, and he's very curious about this culture and all these artifacts and what do they mean, you know, and, and he even has a line that he's like, I wish we had more time, you know, that we didn't have to destroy it, you know? So I think it really, I think what Joe Minoski did there was really build on obviously Picard's character and looking at seriously a different culture and getting that experience. And then we get to see that experience through data. And so I, I enjoy masks actually, and I don't know why people laugh at it. So I, I enjoy it for the most part, but I saw Richard as Amy was describing masks as data's inner light that you raised an eyebrow to that. Uh, well, it's very similar, it, right? I, I, I will agree with you on that. I never thought of thinking it as an inner light uh, for data, to be quite honest. I, I actually like this episode, but I don't love it either. Okay. <laughs> but I'll just say. But like, um, it's one of those episodes that, you know, yeah, you, you kind of have to watch because you... you like you were saying, you know, we get to finally see some, uh, or at least not finally, we get to see more of the archaeology uh, background for Picard. And on top of that, we get to see a lot more range on Brent Spiner as well. And it's it's a very amusing uh, to uh, see him go from character to character of that uh, lost civilization. So, I mean, I like it. It's it's a good episode, um, but it's not one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Also, I'm just going to throw it out. I know some... I'm sorry, listeners, if you get tired of me talking about Troy. But it's a good Troy episode, too. I'm just going to say it. I love how when they're, she's in the children's at school and Data's in there, which I think is just adorable, and they're playing with their clay and she's trying to teach these children and data how to be expressive and to express your feelings through this medium that is clay. And so she asked data to sculpt music. I mean, how brilliant is that? I mean, what would you sculpt to, you know, and data does the, the treble clef. Oh, well, that's real, you know, original. But, you know, that's data. But I just, I like that idea, and seeing her and work in this episode is awesome for me. What do you see when you, th- when you think of music? If you were to do it, if you were to do it what, would you, what would you do? That is a very good question, because my first response is to actually do music notes. And I know that's stupid, just like Data did the treble clef. But I don't know. How would you capture? That is a great question, Justin. What would you mold? Well, maybe strangely, I would make an instrument. I'd make a guitar or a violin or a piano. And for me, that would symbolize music because those are the kinds of things that can make music. I wouldn't actually think of a musical note first. Hmm. Hmm. Richard, what would you sculpt? The first thing that popped in my head was on the left-hand side, there's the guy. He's got his hand up, and he's twirling this girl, and her dress is obviously twirling as as he's uh, as she's dancing. So that's oh. what I that was the first image hmm. that came into my mind. Nice. So, well, listeners, you will have to let us know. 
Once you finish and love masks, then go ahead and let us know what would you sculpt if you had to sculpt music? Hmm. That's a great question. It is a good, great yeah. question. <laughs> so, so, Richard, what would be your first choice? All right. Well, I've said this in the past, uh, and I've said it in Unsung Heroes of Season 4, and that is First Contact. I absolutely love that episode. I actually watched it uh I rewatched it today, actually, and it's just a very, it's a realistic view of what people would probably react if they, if aliens that more likely probably don't look at, look like at us at all, at all, what it would look like for first contact, to be quite honest. I mean, call me a skeptic, but I really think that, I don't think the human population is ready for that, but I firmly believe that something like an alien uh, first contact has already occurred here, wherever it is, United States or somewhere else. That and it's just a government uh, conspiracy. I would not even put it past anything <laughs> that it's actually happened already. But uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, it's more of an it, it was the choice is more of an entertainment value because it's hilarious on some of the some of the reactions, some of the questions. It's something I would probably say like, "What do you have down there?" You know, like, how do you procreate and stuff like that? It would would probably be the first questions I ask um, or something like that. But, like, it's just, I mean, I couldn't even imagine, I couldn't even imagine what I would, uh, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't imagine. Uh, I'd be in shock, too, just like everyone else. <laughs> yeah, this is a really good episode that talks about progression yep. and where you and the two spectrums of thinking. Well, they, you know, it's narrowed down to two spectrums. You definitely, there's shades of gray in there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. But yeah, you get your spectrum from, you know, the science and then versus your, what, it's not really a religion, but just not changing. I guess you're traditional. Yeah, traditional. Yeah. Yeah. That'll work. I mean, I guess it could be religious-based because they don't want to disrupt their way of life. So, I, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, and and uh, whenever I think about this this episode, though, I always have to be like, this is the season four episode, not the movie. <laughs> it's always so confusing that they name the movie the same thing. But yeah, but yeah it's, it's a really excellent episode. And I think for sure if there was first contact or you saw you know, extraterrestrial for the first time, you would just totally freak out about it, wouldn't you? Probably, but even if you're a Star Trek fan and you're like, I hope there are aliens. If there actually was one, you'd be like, I don't even know how to react right now. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I, I uh... going off topic. That's why I like Enterprise because at the beginning, you know, you can see Archer is just anyone he meets. Oh, you must be friendly, you know, and then you see the transition that he makes. Yeah, not everyone's friendly. So you see that progression that he has. And so it's like, what would we be? Would Or what would you as an individual be? Would we be, oh, hi, I'm your neighbor and, you know, friendly and let's swap recipes or whatever, you know, versus, oh, you're the enemy and assuming that you're coming to destroy. So those nope. assumptions can be harmful both ways, I think. I mean, it's not like you can go over there and ask for a cup of sugar. <laughs> <laughs> I th- I think I'd be like, have you seen Star Trek? Are you more like a Vulcan or a Borg? <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> 
You know, I, and I could decide. That's funny you mentioned that because the differences between Enterprise and TNG, obviously, we're more far more advanced in TNG, and you know, basically, we we meet primitive cultures. But the other, but it's the other way around. When it's Enterprise, you know, they could annihilate you in in one fatal blow, and and then that's the end of you. And yet, you know. Archer is so, um, I guess, in a sense, naive to um, be this nice guy in space and basically make friends, which is great. But you also got to put up a a, a, a a tough front in order to combat those ones that are not so friendly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Great choice. So my first choice. Now I'm going to pick what probably comes to mind first for those who know Joe, who Joe Minoski is. And that is the amazing episode, Darmok. I love Darmok, one of my very favorite episodes. I think it's just such a brilliant concept to have a species that uses uh, metaphorical language. Um, it's such a great story about, about understanding and risking and sacrificing for that, that understanding. I'm just always captivated by the episode every time uh, that I see it. And I feel like... And I think... One of the <clears throat> the things that goes through some of Minoski's episodes is a fascination with with language and what it means and how it affects people's actions, and this is a really great example of that. And I I just I love Darmok so much. It was easy for me to say that was my first choice. Yeah, I was going to choose it, but I knew you would or Richard would choose Darmok. I mean, that definitely is the one when you say Joe Minoski. That's the episode that everyone thinks of. And rightfully so. It's it's an amazing, amazing episode. You're seeing communication between the two captains. You're seeing between the the crew that's left on each of the ships trying to communicate and and having faith. I mean, I think you can see on the alien ship, like they're like, well, our captain's down there. And Riker's like, your captain is about to die. He's injured. And they're like, well, that's what he wanted to do. You know, their faith in him and... I, there's so many things, so many good things about Darmok and, and yeah, that language that they speak in and uh, that would be very difficult. I, my minor going through school when I was, uh, my undergrad is communications. And so to have and to analyze their, the way that they're speaking and using analogy and, and symbolism and stories basically, uh, is, is very, very intriguing to me. So, yes, Darmok is one of my favorites. For sure, you are not Darmok on the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> on this choice. Isolated. <laughs> so, I, I, this actually is my honorable mention, and I had a feeling either you or Amy was going to choose this one. So, I just said, screw it. I'm not going not gonna to pick this one to save redundancy. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, like, this, this episode is so great. I, I, I completely agree that, you know, I was actually, I, I think it was on a previous episode we were talking about it. But, like, I don't, I can't, I, I gotta find this article, but they were talking about how, like, certain uh, certain languages have certain, um, bring out certain qualities in, in certain people, and they, they rank them on, on where they are. Like, most of the Latin languages uh, were considered, were dealt more with race than anything else. And then, like, some of the other, like, Arabic's, uh, Arabic uh, dialects and everything dealt with, uh, I can't remember what it was, but I'll have to look for the article. But it was a very interesting article dealing with languages on how people perceive that language in that 
their way of thinking is different when they speak the language, which I find very interesting and would love to research that more. And this is a great episode. Bring that quality out. <laughs> yeah. Well, and one thing I want to add that I really like about the episode is this species of Tamarians they feel really alien for a lot of the episode. I mean, even when, you know, the the uh, Enterprise-D might encounter a new species, they can understand a, to a certain extent either the language or if they're hostile intentions, they can be like, shields up, you know, and and be able to know what the response is. But they're so puzzled and baffled by what's going on. I just like how truly alien it is. And that's something that that also you get a lot of in Enterprise when they're going out there and there's sometimes they don't know the language or, or whatever. So you get that kind of feeling of a, a species that's really alien. They're not, it doesn't feel like they're just modified humans. It feels like they're truly different in, in their way of life and how they express themselves. So I, I love that about it as well. Outstanding. Great choice. Yeah. Thanks. I, apparently I was the only one who was like, I'm just going to choose it. I'm not even going to assume you guys are going to choose it. If you do, I'll just knock it off my list. Good thing I didn't. Maybe. Rookie maybe. Mistake. <laughs> no one would have chosen it then. <laughs> I didn't want that to happen. Okay. Got to talk okay. about that. Exactly. Darwin. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Amy, what's your second choice? Again, I'm not choosing these because they're my favorite, but just to get a wide variety of what Joe Minoski did. So I think when I chose Mass, that's sort of one that stands on its own. So the second one I chose is In Theory. And this episode is the one where uh, Data is creates a program to start dating uh, the person in under Worf's command, which again, hilarious. He's like, Worf comes up to him, well, I hear you're dating. She's under my command, so do not hurt her. And Data's like, understood. <laughs> you know, so that's cute. He writes this program to date, and it's just so interesting to see what he takes from different cultures. And, you know, their first lover's quarrel is hilarious maybe you've got the problem. And it, there's some really good lines in there. And I think it it goes to show, and okay, I think there's, it's a really good episode on parts because Data, again, this is sort of a Data-centric. Data's got a lot of episodes in the latter part of the series. Um, but we can see that he is trying, again, to still be and capture what it is to be human and having a relationship uh, is part of that. And so I think it really furthers Data's story uh, of his progression to become human. And I like the fact that we get to see her perspective from it as well. And the end, it just really hits me um, when she says, you know, I've been in relationships with guys who refuse to, you know, refuse their feelings, and then I get back into a relationship with someone who cannot have feelings. You know, that realization for me as a woman is very powerful because there's been definitely times where I think that I want to get in this relationship and then it's like, well, this guy is not in touch with his feelings and why do I want that? And so recognizing that, um, it really speaks to me. So I chose In Theory. Awesome. I... Love that episode. It's a great episode. Uh, it, it just makes me laugh that 
you can have a you could program it like that. I, I I wish it was that easy in relationships. That would be so awesome if you could just I know, right? figure that out. Like there's rules or something like that. But that would be great. But sadly, that doesn't happen. <laughs> well, and it's fun, too, because Data's going around to try asking relationships, you know, and he gets to Picard and he's like, Data, when I figure anything about women, I'll let you know. <laughs> That's great. You know, what? actually, come to think of it, that would actually be a problem to have so much diversity. Because, I mean, not every, obviously, not every human woman will react to like a Klingon rituals or, or whatever rituals. I mean, that would actually be, that would work against, uh, work against you. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's like, he knows his vast encyclopedia of all these different cultures. Which ones are you going to, to choose from? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it reminds me, uh, it's a different episode. I think it's an early episode where I think Wesley's looking for relationship advice and he asks Worf, and he's and he just like gives this this roar and it's like oh that's what you do like what that's not going to work for me so between with these different cultures it's very different and of course if you think about data as an android what is his culture right he has within him the knowledge of all these different cultures and he thinks of himself as a culture of one like the one sung type android well of course there's more but he thinks of himself as one sometimes but what does that that mean? And all he can do is just kind of copy human patterns that that he might find. Um, yeah, and it, I find it really sad at at the end when when he's just like, "Well, I guess I'll just delete that program." And just deletes I know, it. That's and then a tearjerker. <laughs> delete all your feelings. <laughs> yeah, and then he's just like. He's just like staring ahead, emotionless, and the episode ends. Oh, that feels it feels so sad because that experience isn't really going to mean anything to him i mean i think for a lot of people if they have a difficult relationship and it ends it's difficult because of all the pain that you experience and you carry that with you and maybe sometimes you'd wish you were like data and you could just kind of delete that and and flush it out but at the same time that's how you learn and that's how what shapes your experience but for him he's like i'm just gonna you know, take a little scalpel to it and excise the experience and, and it's going to be gone. Has he really learned anything from this experience? I mean, it's, it's, it makes you think about a lot of, a lot of different things about data you might not, um, otherwise. And I think it's, it's definitely an out of the box idea, but it's a great idea to try to put him in a relationship and just see what happens. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. All right. So Richard, what's your second choice? Uh, this is one of my favorites and it's the chase. I Mm. absolutely love the chase. It's so, it's so the episode obviously begins with, uh, Picard meeting his old mentor, uh, his old, uh, archeology span teacher. And it's just the look on his face on how genuine it is on, uh, on seeing an artifact. I'm assuming for the first time, or at least by he's, uh, processing it through memory from what he's learned uh through these classes uh, i it's just it's very in it's very endearing that I, I that you know he he's able to do that and it just it feels real and obviously it's a clear passion whether it's real or not but obviously we can feel that with uh picard and that he absolutely loves archaeology and obviously in this episode um i love the jumping around uh finding clues and it's very it's a very exciting episode and then of course there are three other races and then funny enough the 
at the end of it, um, it uh, I can't remember her name, but Salome Jens. Thank you. She plays the founder yeah. in, in Deep Space Nine, so or one of the founders, I should say. <laughs> but it's yeah. a, I, I love this episode. It's so great, uh, especially when they're jumping around. <laughs> yeah, I I I love the 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 chase too because yeah, they are chasing these different clues. It feels like, you know, it's just an hour episode, but it feels more epic in scale, like they're going over here, and then let's go over here, and Picard's just following all of these clues. And I love, um, I, I mean, I generally love Patrick Stewart's acting, but when there's the archaeological interest in something, he just sells it so well. I mean, you you would think that, that you know, Patrick Stewart himself is like this huge archaeology buff. I love that part of it. And then you do get to see... Klingons, Romulans, and Cardassians together in one episode, which you I don't think you see anywhere else in TNG, which is great. And then I love that it gives us an explanation for why there's these similarities between these different humanoid races. And I've thought about this episode and referenced it a lot be- because when I'm thinking about this universe and why uh, different races might be similar, I think about this one as as the explanation. So it's it's great for that too, and I always enjoy it all, all of the the aspects of it. Um, what do you think of the chase, Amy? Yeah, that's um, an honorable mention of mine. So we've got that taken care of because I definitely did not want to. Uh, talk Minoski episodes and not talk about the chase. It's, again, yeah, one of my favorites as well. Interestingly enough, and I do apologize for not having uh, the reference, but the previous Earl Grey crew did a rewrite of the chase, and they did such a fabulous job. I remember actually, um, I mean, back then I was the little fangirl listening to them and ooing and aahing and I was so impressed that they came up with this idea and I uh, went on to the Babel conference and I really back then did not comment that often but this one really made me want to comment and I was like I wanted to see their version I mean this version is fabulous and you're right the the writing in it and that it brings everything together that we know about our entire Alpha Quadrant is amazing. I mean, just the thought that he's putting everything together and seeming this, threading this thread through all of the species and comes down to this one creator, what have you, and you get your religious and your scientific all rolled up into one. It is an amazing, well-written episode. Yeah, I like it a lot. For sure. Well, and for those who are wondering, I, I just looked it up. I'll probably have to re-listen to it. Earl Grey 129 is the one that has the chase rewrite. If oh, anyone good. wants to I'm go so back in the archives <laughs> and, and find that. But yeah, and I, I love the idea in the episode too that there are these clues within DNA of different species that was planted billions of years ago, and they've only gotten to the point where they they have the information to start putting that together. That's just such a such a mind blowing idea that it's kind of like an episode that's you know billions of years in the making. Which yeah, is and amazing. Then you have to be, work together to solve it. It's not a me thing. It's a we thing. A great concept. I mean, this is high concept here. I concur. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing for sure. Yeah. Okay, so I guess I'll go with my second pick, and that would be the nth degree. Now, this is the episode where, um, where 
there's, I think, an alien probe, and it kind of latches on to Reg Barclay, and he starts gathering all of this knowledge and becoming super smart and trying to transform uh, the, the ship for what seems like an unknown purpose. I love the part of it where he he wants to, to be able to construct a certain interface and the, the computer doesn't know how to do it. And he's like, no problem. I'll tell you how on the way to the holodeck. And then he has this crazy chair with all the lasers over his head. And, and you know, it takes them to this race, I think, at the, at the center of the galaxy. But I love also that it looks like the Enterprise D is melting as it's going into this I don't know, super warp state or something like that. There's just something about this episode that I love. And it may be my favorite Barclay episode because he is just like gaining all of this confidence and doing all of these crazy things that you don't know where, where they're going to lead. So it's, it's, one, it's not only one of my favorite Minoski episodes, but one of my favorite TNG episodes. Yeah, I think, and maybe it's me and my perception and headcanon, but from the nth degree, I think that when Barclay got the extra confidence from the alien probe, that after that, he seemed a little bit more confident and more sure of himself and that he was going to do things correctly. Uh, n- not so much in the movie First Contact, but throughout the series, um, I feel like the, the writers actually took that and again, this could just be my perception, but that you know, Barclay was more confident in his dealings. Yeah, he was still doubtful and clumsy, and but I think that that experience from the nth degree changed him, and I like seeing that. Yeah, we certainly found that out that he uh, that he wasn't so confident when he was in Voyager. <laughs> but no, no, I, that's but, true. Um, I relapsed. Yeah, we actually discussed this uh, in Unsung Heroes for season four, and honestly, I haven't watched it since then. <laughs> I mean, oh, I was I said I was should. going to, but I was like, oh man. Yeah. And I remember this episode. It was is it's been a long time since I've seen this one. But now I have two reasons why to go back and go, you know, I'm going to see it you tonight. Should. Screw it. You should. Yeah. <laughs> his, well, his lines and pickup lines on Troy are hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? Also, even if I think about him becoming more confident, I think some of that does show in First Contact. I don't know if a Barclay who didn't have this experience would have even had the audacity to come up to Zeph from Cochran and say, can I shake your hand? <laughs> you know, yeah, so... I, th- I think he wouldn't have been able to do that, but he comes up, he does it in a shy way, but he's going to shake the hand of his hero. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, great. All right, so then, Amy, your third choice, if we haven't already taken it somehow. <laughs> yeah, nope, you haven't. We're doing good. Um, so my third choice is Hero Worship. And this one is the one, oh my gosh, it's another data story. What is going on with me today? So a kid loses his parents and he doesn't know how to deal with his emotions. And so he latches on to data because he sees that data doesn't have any emotions. And when you are going through loss, that is very appealing. I think it touches, this episode really touches people at a very deep level because when you are experiencing great pain and loss, you don't want to. You don't want to have those feelings. And so to just, you know, pull your hair back, comb it, and start talking like data so that you don't have to feel and you don't have to think about it 
it, it, it's very appealing. And so I chose hero worship. And I like to see his progression through the grieving process. And again, I think it's great that Minoski would do an entire episode on what does it mean to grieve and each person is going to do it in their own way and you shouldn't judge them and I think Troy also has a good role in this and in explaining that and say don't roll your eyes Richard don't roll your eyes (laughs) she didn't mention Troy on her second choice I know I was this close though (laughs) but you know having her explain every person's gonna take their own time you know and I think that that's very valuable and, and very good wisdom to share yeah, it was good. And what do you, what do you think? I, I think it's a great episode. Uh, it's I, I if Lee was here, I would not choose it for sure. <laughs> but I didn't choose it anyway because I have another pick for my third. But like this is one of my, this is a good episode. Um, yeah, it definitely uh, gives it more of an insight of what exactly you know how you know different people grieve in certain ways, and sometimes it can be healthy and sometimes not. But I mean, at the same time, you know. Like obviously, this kid's trying to cope with it, and um, in a sense, he's, I guess, trying to be an android and, um, you know, basically running away from the actual grieving part, which is obviously unhealthy. And I'm glad that, um, you know, learning about it through Data's eyes and uh, and actually uh, hearing it from other parts of the crew, because obviously, uh, the um, I I do believe it was um, the was it the father or is it both parents? Both. both parents. Both, That's yeah. right. So, you know, losing both parents at the same exact time, it's I can only imagine how heart sorrow that kid must feel. Um and um and anyone else that loses a parent, or especially that young. And it's just it's 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 you know, and then it's very reassuring that, you know, people can, you know, grieve like that and all that kind of stuff and show show uh, their kind of those kind of feelings and how they can deal with them. So, yeah. It's a good episode. I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I think I do remember in, enjoying it. And it's interesting to see a kid emulate Data because you haven't really seen anybody try to emulate who Data is as an android before. So, I mean, again, I think what we're seeing for a lot of these Minoski episodes is he's introducing a concept or or some interaction with a character you haven't seen before because I think he's kind of an experimentalist. He just wants to see if I put these two things together what happens and i think a lot of times it works and and it does for for hero worship also yeah totally all right so richard what's your third choice so i chose my third choice is suspicions i love this episode it's great (laughs) it's uh not because it's a dr crusher well yeah i guess partly it's a dr crusher story and you know it just but it just reminds me of clue I absolutely love the movie, and I love that the movie Murder on the Orient Express is coming out, and it's basically a Clue episode, or a Clue kind of movie, where you have to figure out who the murderer is, and it's just, it's very, it, it's like, it's just like the chase, you're you're trying to figure out who actually did it, and then you don't, it, you don't really know that it's the guy, it's the guy who was piloting the shuttlecraft, who basically in a sense, killed himself, but not... going to spoil it if people haven't seen it? Oh, yeah. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Sorry. <laughs> it's been 30 years. Yeah, if you haven't seen it by now, your... I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> or or well, am I? Some people, are, some people are coming to it more recently, like me. 
That's true. That's true. Yeah, that's very true. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> we'll just have to put it. No, go ahead with what you're saying. We'll have to put it into the chapters and says spoiler alert. <laughs> no, you don't have to do that. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a great episode, and mainly the reason why I love it is is because it feels it's a it's like a I guess you you could probably do it as a murder mystery. <laughs> that would be great. Have one of those murder mystery dinners at your place uh, and yeah. act out suspicious. But everyone has to be a Star Trek fan at least. <laughs> yeah, of course. STLV. Yay! There you go. There's an idea. You could do that in your hotel room. Just make sure you're yeah. not too loud like we were. Yes. So, I, oh, I just had a comment about suspicions. One of the, I like it for all the reasons that you've said, Richard, but I also like it because it's one of the best uses of a Ferengi in TNG. You have a Ferengi scientist. He's not out there for profit. He's not, you know, baring his teeth and, and being all, all nasty. He's, he's somebody you can understand as, as a scientist, and I think it's one of the few times on TNG where, the, where a Ferengi character actually works, and I like that. And you get to see, you know, some different uh, species interacting together. I think if I remember right, so as a Ferengi scientist, a Vulcan scientist, and even a Klingon scientist, is that right in this that's one? That's right, yeah. that's right. Which is yeah. really cool, right? To, and, and Klingon scientist is something you don't see very much either. So it, it brings a lot of those things together. It is a great Crusher episode, though why she's the one bringing them together is a little odd, but... But it, it's a it's a great uh, Beverly Crusher episode, which we didn't get enough of in in TNG, and and I like it overall. And it also introduces the concept of metaphasic shielding, which becomes important in in Descent later on in in the show. Which is funny enough, another Crusher episode <laughs> <laughs> where she's in command. You're right. Yeah. So I I think it's it's great. But you know, but, I'm glad you brought that up because like I was just thinking about it as like while I was rewatching the episode today. Um, it's like, you know, you would think that, you know, with a warrior race that all their warp field st- specialists and medics and all that would be this would be slaves of different uh, races, you know, because, you know, I, I get it, you know, more they, they, they value they value the warrior culture and all that kind of stuff. But like you would never think that someone of that of that empire would have, I guess you could say, I guess you can call them weaklings of their empire by having scientists and stuff like that. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. <laughs> Are you talking about like Klingon scientists? Right. Klingon scientists. And then same thing with, it, it'd probably be the same thing uh, with uh, Ferengi uh, scientists because obviously what? Ferengis are economists or whatever you want to call them thieves anyway they stole warp technology right that's true they did same thing with the same thing with the klingons with the warp or i'm sorry with the cloaking device as well but i mean i'm just saying like you never see it's always it's it's always very acute on who who those people are and um it's refreshing to see that there are i mean obviously we've seen a vulcan scientist i mean they're all about science (laughs) yep yep. but like yeah it's it's very interesting uh, to see di- oh, different roles that uh, those other species uh, can mm-hmm. play. Hopefully, we'll see some Klingon scientists on Discovery. Shh! <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to do here? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, yeah, suspicions is a is a, a great choice. Um, my third choice probably won't come as a surprise to anybody. Wait, wait, wait! <laughs> if you can, I guess. <laughs> no, don't steal my thunder. Oh, oh, okay. oh. 
But I mean, if you listen to, to Earl Grey and you listen to Earl Grey 171, where I talked about how much I absolutely love Time Zero, you'll know that my third choice is Time Zero, parts one and two. I, I talked extensively about why I love those episodes so much, but, you know, having the the crew of the Enterprise D go back into the real 19th century, having Mark Twain, having these it, it, different aliens that are feeding off people in the past, just the... The, the whole concept of it and everything about it is really cool. And, and I, I love it so much. I had to struggle like what the order that I would put things in because Time Zero could have been number one, but Darmok is superior in, in a lot of ways. But, but Time Zero is, is the one that, that I go to if I just want to have like a fun romp. So what do you guys think? Yeah, that episode was fun. <laughs> I mean, for sure you were talking quite a bit about it. So if, if you guys love Time Zero or want to love Time Zero, uh, Justin will convince you and he will definitely make, uh, make you a fan of that episode. That's for sure. <laughs> Very knowledgeable. Yeah, I think you can really tell the actors when they get into the 19th century costumes. They love it. That I can just imagine them. I mean, when you see the actual actors and how they interact one with another, you know that they're a family and that they love each other. And so it, it really shines through in these episodes because they're doing something different. They've obviously have different sets and different clothing. They're not in the space uniforms. And so I think that that really shines through. And again, it's another of this crazy concept of time travel and these again introducing a different alien race that we've never seen before the viridians isn't that the particle isn't that the particle they need because i thought it was an i thought it was a computer uh uh not like a computer it was like a, a artificial life form that needed uh viridian particles was that what it was Okay. Well, like oh gosh, you're going to make me remember. I remembered when we did that episode in March. But <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I, don't, Anyways, I don't quite remember it's, now. It's just brilliant that, you know, and, and then capturing what is your life. You know, so when you die, it, it goes to the question of afterlife. What is it? They are seeping this essentialness that you have. And that's what they're taking so that they can feed. So there's a question that there must be something after death because they're stealing it to feed upon. So I think that that's a high concept that Minoski gets through in this episode. It, it really is. I mean, they're, they're just stealing the life force out of these, these people, which is which is kind of a crazy idea in Star Trek. By the way, it's the Davidians. I had to look it Davidians. up because yep. I didn't remember. I, I just saw it too. Yeah. I was like, no, that's not right. I'm thinking the, of the of the train episode. <laughs> I was looking at that train episode. I'm like... Oh, you were thinking the Verteron Yeah, particles? thank you. <laughs> okay, yeah. Oh, there's so many different alien names and particles and things we have to keep straight in Star yeah. Trek. <laughs> Hundreds of them. Well, Great. talking the Verter... What did you say? Which particle? Verderon. Verderon particles. Verderon. Did you did you want to do your first honorable yes, mention? Yes, that's my first <laughs> honorable mention since we're there. Emergence. And I find it a very fun episode. Again, it's similar to Time Zero because they are dressed up. This is a holodeck episode, however. 
And it's, you know, it's the Orient Express, another clue episode. And they have to figure out what is this thing doing? And it's taking over the Enterprise, of course. And is it a life form? What are we going to do with it once we realize what it is? And it's growing bigger. And what are we going to do? Because we can't contain it in the ship. And so there's a lot of issues that come up with it. And again, that big concept of what is life and, and how do we recognize it and how do we respect it? So I, uh, Emergence is my honorable mention. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, I think some people don't like Emergence, but I, I love... No, I, I, I think so. Maybe they see it as, as corny or something like that. The but. chances are uh, are there, you know, someone, at least one person is going to hate it. <laughs> But I've heard people that are like that that one on the train that's that's just stupid, but I think it's a it's it's great because you're talking about the potential for for the enterprise computer to be sentient, which is a crazy concept that they never talk about before that or I think really after that but um and and all of these manifestations on the train there's all of this symbolism and all of these things going on, and then they start constructing this. I uh, I don't know what it is. It looks like it's it's just like a geometric figure, and it flies off and does who knows what. There's just a lot of a lot of crazy things going on in it, but I I really enjoy it a lot. And I think also about the the scene where where Data gets to stop this this taxi with one hand because <laughs> he's so because he's so strong. But I, I don't know. There's there's a lot of parts to it that that I love, and I always enjoy watching it. Yeah. The Enterprise D had uh, had babies. <laughs> kind of did. Yeah, it kind of did. Asexual uh, relationship right there. <laughs> but then what happens? This thing flies out of the ship, and all of a sudden, you know, the sentience that the computer was starting to get is gone. Or maybe what? it became uh, friends with the anti crystal, uh, Christ- the crystallite entity. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's been destroyed by this point. But you never know. It might have babies too, and they might have like <laughs> electronic fluid to babies. I don't know. <laughs> wow. I think we're reaching now. <laughs> we can always do a rewrite <laughs> or create our own story. <laughs> we could. All right. So, Richard, what's your honorable mention? Mine was actually Darmok. And you know, and it's a great episode. I love it. It's it's definitely one of those ones that are in the top, or for me, in the top ten episodes of one of the best episodes ever in TNG. But I didn't want to do it because I figured one of you would, and I'm glad one of you did. <laughs> so, but obviously, it goes without saying why it's one of the best. Nice. And somehow, well, I picked a couple of potential ones for honorable mention so i do actually have one to choose (laughs) that you guys didn't already choose and that's clues uh which is the episode where basically the 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 crew wakes up they don't quite know what's going on data tries to make it seem like there's a short period of time that that's passed but they're suspecting things they think data is is lying and it ends up being uh, them trying to figure out the mystery i it, it's one of those things like suspicions where there's this mystery going on that you have to figure out as as you're watching it. And I love when we see that in in Star Trek and, you know, the way that, that Data is, is acting and the conflict within himself is really fascinating. So uh, Clues was my honorable mention. 
Yeah, I like clues too, especially sort of that cyclical argument where Picard gives him an order, do not tell me what happens. And then, you know, after they figure out Data's been lying and and Picard's like, you need to tell me what happened. Well, I can't, you know. And so, and then we figure out what happens and it's this isolationist alien race that doesn't want to be known or anything. And so then Picard gives him, again, the same order, do not tell us what happened. And I just sort of love that. My mathematical brain is like, it's a paradox, it's cyclical, it's, you know. And so for me, that's, that's the fun part of clues. And Data has to make an ethical decision, like do... Do the same Picard's past orders override his present orders, mm-hmm. right? And he struggles with that. I think eventually he resolves it, and he's like, okay, I got to do something about this. So the present Picard's orders override that, but then the present Picard overrides the future Picard who might order him. So it's like this this, this weird cycle that thankfully gets, has to get broken at the end of the episode where they're like, oh, okay, just you know, launch a probe and let's keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it would just be like this endless loop, like, Data, you've got to tell me something's going on. Oh, we got to do it again. You know, it could be like cause and effect where it just keeps going and going. Loops and loops and but, loops. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. I mean, I, I think this points up that there's lots of really great uh, Joe Manoski episodes, and I think a lot that we have to look forward to to see his contribution on Discovery. I just wanted to close out with with all of our final thoughts on what we've talked about on Joe Minoski and maybe if you wanted to, any speculation of what you think he might uh, contribute to discovery. Uh, Amy? As I was looking at this list that you provided of all of these episodes, I couldn't help but realize there were some certain themes that I think you can see um, evidence in his, in his writings. So for example, like there are a lot of suspense clues, Type of episodes. I mean, just from the list, there's clues, the chase, suspicions, emergence, and it's you know who done it type of episode, and and what's going to happen, and we've got to figure it out. And I love that. I think it's very good. It stimulates the mind, and you're always guessing and wondering what's going to happen next because you don't know. So I hope to see that in Discovery. Um, another thread that I see in Minoski's writings is his love of culture and sharing alien cultures with us and trying to mar- marry those and so that we can gain this new level of respect. I mean, you have the chase, obviously, with all the Alpha Quadrant aliens. Um, masks, you're looking at that other culture and their artifacts um, first contact, obviously, with uh, Riker down on the con- uh, the planet there, um, and even clues. There's this uh, isolationist species, and so Minoski does, I think, a very good job in bringing different cultures and writing them so that we get to understand them better. And the third theme that I've seen in his writings is that he likes to talk about communication and I think um, communication in all forms obviously in theory where we see communication in uh, a relationship a sexual physical relationship a communication like an nth degree 
where the computer, and even with mass, the computer's talking to data and, and Barclay in that. And so how do we communicate and how do we get our ideas across? And obviously the pinnacle of Darmok and that communication there. So I really look forward to those episodes that he's going to have his input on discovery because each of those, and Minoski's always known as a high concept, but these high concepts of communication and different cultures and the clues, um, I just, I'm very, very excited that he is going to be working on with discovery. So that's what I'm most excited about with Joe Minoski. Excellent. Very comprehensive. <laughs> Richard, what are your final thoughts? Geez, Amy, could you leave a little bit for us? <laughs> I mean, seriously. <laughs> Ever since we, we got that list, I was just like, oh my gosh, there are so many themes when you look at it as a comprehensive. Right. And I don't even know if we um, talked, if we told our listeners the entire list. I think we just missed uh, two of them that we didn't mention. Legacy. Legacy, which is the one of Tasha Yar's sister, Ishara. Good, yeah. And Interface. And Interface, which is the one where Jordy thinks he's seeing his his mother, who's a captain on, on a ship that's that's caught in a planet's atmosphere. Everything else, yeah, we mentioned. So, yeah, those episodes, I think you can see there's a lot of themes that come through, and I hadn't even... I uh, realized that until Justin, you just wanted to do this topic. So I'm really grateful that you did because I think you can see some themes coming through in his writings. <laughs> Maybe it'll help you in some future discussions on the edge. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Hopefully, you know, one thing I'm really excited about, I, I love some of the mystery uh episodes that he's done um in in these episodes that we were talking about and it it really sparks an interest in you know what's going to happen sort of thing and and, you know i remember watching most of these episodes for the first time and it's it's very it's it's very i guess exciting to have something like that and to uh try to figure out with with it and you really don't know what's going to happen so i hope that um and that's what he brings over to um you know, discovery and um, hopefully uh, something like that will will shine through, like these episodes. So I have a few final thoughts. I mean, Amy, I think you gave us a really great analysis of all of the the things that are going on in the episodes. But one of the things I I think about is that Manoski is very interested in ideas. He's interested in in culture and communication and you know, putting two people together in very different situations or throwing something into the mix that'll, that'll shake things up um, or, or even inventing a different kind of, of language. So he's very much interested in ideas. And it'll be interesting to see in Discovery if episodes where he has a hand in them will be kind of more about ideas or philosophy or something like that and a little bit less about action and and things like that. But yeah, I mean, he's written a lot of fascinating episodes. And of course, because this is Earl Grey, we've talked about the TNG ones, but he wrote a bunch of Voyager episodes as well that are some of the the best in Voyager, like Scorpion and Year of Hell and Living Witness and things like that. So when he's at his best, he writes some of the best on, you know, whatever show that, that he's that he's working. Okay, DS9's an exception because his episodes there were just so-so. But I mean, he, he writes, when he's at his best he can really, you know, write something that's extremely memorable. And I think we'll see that in Discovery. It'll be interesting to see, you know, which ones he's credited for and what types of stories there are. But 
I think I was already excited because I love Minoski as as a writer, but I think I'm even more excited looking at this list because there's so many great episodes that make you think about a lot of different things and, and ideas, but it still makes it entertaining. So I'm uh, really looking forward to that. Go ahead. I think this is going to be the first time where watching a TV show, I'm looking for the credits because now, especially being on the network and now that I'm on the edge, like... I'm knowing who these names are and to see Joe Minoski come up, that's just going to have so much more meaning for me. I challenged to the journey to do a little Minoski Uh. overview on their side of the quadrant so that we can get a full range of what he has written. That's very exciting to me. That's a great idea. Kay, Suzanne, Zachary, the challenge has been thrown down. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, I, that would be very interesting too because he did write a lot of great Voyager episodes as well, and was a he was even co executive producer I think by season six of Voyager, so he had a huge impact on on Voyager as well. Excellent. Well, I think we've had a really great discussion on on Joe Minoski today, and I just wanted to um, to say at this point. Uh, just stick around and join us after the credits so you can hear about a special giveaway that Earl Grey will be doing. And it's been fun talking about our favorite Joe Minoski Next Generation episodes, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you may, might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM. To the journey! I love Chakotay. So do I. Let's have a moment of love for Chakotay because he doesn't get enough love. He doesn't get enough Akuchimoya. love. Akuchimoya. A group. <laughs> Akuchimoya. 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 This is a bit of a tangent, but I have a cat named Cappuccino who we call Poochie, and I've started calling him Apuchimoya. <laughs> so cute. I'm not joking. Tangent's That's a journey. For real. Warp 5. I just thought, you know, those were, of course, some of the other Enterprise references come up. He was a Mako. He fought in those Indian Romulan Wars. I really like that that background and that tie-in. And it makes sense that, you know, over the course of a hundred years, that somebody's going to kind of go a little crazy and, and, you know, get to this point where they're just, you know seething for some for some kind of revenge or, or something so the ready room so all we gave about- the pilot all we had and then we yeah. ran into some problems with episode two and we told everyone like just throw something on the page take a vacation come back and in episode five we'll just figure These it guys out from all access from are calling me every 15 <laughs> minutes how's it going how's it going how's it going and introducing the edge a star trek discovery podcast What have you done out there on the edge of Federation space? Welcome to The Edge, Trek FM's brand new podcast where we dive into the final frontier of the newest Star Trek series, Star Trek Discovery, the first Star Trek series to be on air in 12 and a half years, something like that. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all of these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcast. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or on the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. We're going to talk about that. Hint, hint. 
If you're not an Apple user, you need to go to Best Buy, go buy an Apple, and buy it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and in most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's shows. We've talked a lot, so we want to hear your thoughts, and there's many ways for you to do that. The best place is to join the larger conversation in the Babel Conference. That is our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm forward slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come straight to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash trek.fm. So, Amy, where can people contact you? Well, as mentioned, uh, show up on the Babel Conference. That's my favorite place. I also am on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson. Oh, and I always forget. Thank you. You can hear me on The Edge, which is uh, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to discovery. So very excited uh, to be on there and you can find me there. Richard, where can people find you? Don't find me anywhere. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, uh, they can find me also on the uh, Babel Conference. Uh, I pop in here and there. And I am also on Twitter, and my handle is xransom. Justin, where can they find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at trekfan4747, inspired by Joe Minoski. And I tweet about nothing but Star Trek there. And I'm currently on my TNG Season 3 rewatch, so you can follow along with that. And you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. Well, if you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access, which we've done a couple times here and there. Uh, You get exclusive content and producer credits and more. We love the Patrons Roundtable. That's pretty much where, Justin, you and I got started on the network, right? Absolutely. That's, That's where I got started on the network. The first podcasting experience in my whole life was on the Patrons Roundtable. And here I am co-hosting Earl Grey. (laughs) Exactly. Yep. So get involved. We would love to have your support. It does require a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. So we really appreciate any support you can give us and hope that you'll join the team. Again, you can find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. And we would like to thank our associate producers, Michael Huter and Justin Ozer. Yay! Hooray. Thank you for supporting Earl Grey. Awesome. And now to the part of the show that you want to hear. Here is the giveaway. To all our UK listeners, give us a star rating and a review on Apple iTunes. Lee is donating a fantastic book because I've read it. It's called Trekonomics. 
um, a random drawing in September will uh, will happen. Um, we'll let you guys know on a later date. But we'd love uh, we'd love to read your comments, and it helps others to find our pack podcast when they are searching for fantastic Star Trek podcasts like Earl Grey. <laughs> Exactly. And just, yeah, thank you to Lee for donating. This is his goodbye gift. And so we would really love to uh, get that over to you. So go ahead and uh, give us a star rating and a review. Yeah, thanks, Lee, for the, the donation. And I've read Treconomics as well. It's it's a fantastic book about the economics of the Star Trek universe. And the author goes into a lot of detail about how it's something that might actually be possible. Uh, so if you are in the UK, please leave us a star rating or review on iTunes, and you'll have a, a chance to win that copy. Oh, man, I guess I can't do that because I'm number one, not in the UK. But, man, both of you have read it. I better get yep. on the ball. Yeah, it's actually sitting over here on my table. <laughs> yeah, I've got, it over, I've got it over here on my shelf. Oh, dear, I'm behind. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You can read it, and maybe we'll talk about it. Yep, Richard would like that. I would love that. <laughs> We love that. Great. Well, thank you for listening, and we hope you join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Great joy and gratitude. Klingons never bluff. Make it so. 